Hey everyone, Anna Lytle here. And Kat Pusey. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the Modern, Modern Farm and Artisan Co-op Podcast. Where we are connecting you to the lives and stories of our local farmers, makers, and educators that are all dedicating themselves to positively and powerfully impacting the Southern Utah community. The interview you're about to hear is the first episode we ever recorded. And that being said, we had some technical difficulties and special toddler appearances. So if you hear some clicking, background noises, and cat son Ira playing in the background, please know that moving forward, we will try to ensure the best audio quality possible. But please know we are doing all of these on location at the farms. And we are still learning, so we appreciate your patience with us. Now on to introducing our guests for this episode. Today we are talking with Robert and Jody Bronner of Cherith Brook Farms in Enterprise, Utah. They sustainably raise lamb, chicken, goat, and for the first time this year, pigs. All their animals are pasture-raised and free of synthetic hormones, vaccines, and antibiotics. They are able to raise their animals this way because of the careful and loving way that Robert, Jody, and their three kids manage their animals. They tend to the land in a way that heals the earth and creates an incredible healthy animal protein. We spent a few hours walking around the various properties they use for their animals and learned so much from Robert. We will definitely be returning to Cherith Brook in April or May once they get their baby chickens and lambs. In the interview, we'll be talking about Robert's background, how he got started raising animals for meat, and delve into the why and how he and his family raise their animals in line with the principles of regenerative agriculture, as well as get a glimpse of what it's like running a family business. We hope you enjoy this conversation and can learn as much from it as we did. Okay, let's get started. So, Robert, would you please start with giving us a little more info on your background and how you got where you are today? I I grew up in Brazil. I come from a, a an agricultural background, and um, ever since I was I was a, a young kid, I've always had a, a knack for agriculture. It, it was pretty obvious that I was gonna end up as a farmer. And uh, from a young age, my my parents always encouraged us to be educated, to get a, a university degree, as much education as, as we possibly could. And um, when I was a, a, a teenager, around 16 years old or so, my dad, um, somehow he put it in my head that uh, I had to learn the agricultural model that was used in the United States to produce large amount of food. And so I I finished high school in Brazil. I started uh, college in Brazil. My church, my religion gave me an opportunity to serve a two-year mission. I served my mission in Idaho. And afterwards, I uh, went to, I, I applied to go to, to college in Idaho as well. And I, I graduated with an animal science degree. At BYUI? At BYU-Idaho. I originally um, thought of going back to Brazil and uh, just farm at my, my family operation uh, down there. Things didn't work out very well. I was married and had twins, and by that time, I was trying to get a degree to, to become a veterinarian. I, w- I, did, I did two years of schooling down there. And uh, all the scholarships that I had lined out, they didn't work out. Uh, my wife had a hard time adapting in Brazil. And uh, we had one problem after another, and we made the decision to just leave vet school and come back to the United States and just uh, just get a job out here. So I my my first job after college was in uh, in Utah County, and I worked for a, a large dairy operation there. And uh, three years into that or so, I heard about uh, another large dairy operation that was being built here in Southern Utah. I came down here. 
and I just fell in love with this place. I love the area, I love the people here. Um, I got my pretty much my dream job as, as a dairy manager, and my career was going well, things were going well, production was, was, was going really well. We were, we were really building uh, uh, this, this farm, and um, until about 2013, 2014, when we had a, when we had a major a major crash, a major problem at, at this dairy operation I was at. And uh, I went after the best. Uh, consultants around the whole country to solve this problem we had and it seems like everyone just had an opinion no one had facts about how to actually solve it and my mind went back to my college days to where i i had heard about joe salatin not very good things about him unfortunately but but for some reason i felt i felt drawn to going back to that to really look into it and uh and things just made sense Things just uh, made me think, hey, maybe the agricultural model that I grew up with in Brazil wasn't so bad at all. Maybe this this is the right way to doing things. I really had a, a, a an awakening at that time. And with that, we were able to find uh, some of the solutions for the problems we were having. We've been uh, slowly, slowly changing our ways. My wife, Jody and I, we decided to... Um, start our own business on the side and uh, we have been producing our own our own uh, protein our own animal protein for about three years now and we love it and it seems like everyone that tastes our product also loves it and uh, there's just an overwhelming peace of mind that comes when you're able to produce something that is actually uh, good and healthy for people and uh, at, at the same time it heals the land that we're in so I guess as far as my background, this is that's the the simplified version of, of how I ended up here to where I am. Well, that's great. That's a lot. That's a lot of good info. So, with your family in Brazil, how did they learn how they managed the animals? Do you know, like, how your family learned that way of raising animals? Yes, yes. It was passed on from generation to generation, pretty much until. Uh, you know electric fences and thing and, and and these modern things that we were able to to have now that help us so much they came to brazil when i was just a little kid i still remember the first electric fence we bought at our ranch out there you know and and uh it was very different from what we have today but but i still remember the progress that we were able to make in in our own pastures when we started using it and uh, uh we only produced cattle there we didn't we didn't have a multi-species farm like we have here now that uh, if i was down there that that's probably one of the first things i would i would have changed now so your family is still doing that in brazil um actually my my dad just uh, as of as of recent he just sold all all, all the land we had yeah so wow. so they're they're not doing that anymore so you're the only one carrying the torch I, now i am i am <laughs> all three of my brothers um decided to do something else with their lives too so they're not they're not farmers well that's got to feel pretty cool that you're carrying on i mean generations of tradition Yes, I hope uh, one of my children has an interest in this as well. We hope to be able to build a, a business that we can leave for them too. Well, my next question was going to be, if you look back at your childhood, <laughs> was there any indication 
that you were going to end up here doing this? Or was it, yes. I mean, obviously it seems like it's kind of in your DNA. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, there was all, all the signs. Even though we had the ranch, most of my childhood was spent in, in, in the city. That was about uh, a, a few minutes drive from the ranch. And I drove my mom crazy bringing home all kinds of livestock, you know, that I just gathered around. I mean, all, all kinds of birds, geese, uh, uh, doves, and uh, uh, ducks, and quail. And uh, I I would see a stray dog on the street and say, hey, that would make a good ranch dog, you know, and just bring it home. So at about age nine or so, my mom started saying, hey, you just can't do this anymore. You're... <laughs> Uh, you know, prob- she, that probably happened after I brought home a pair of geese. And uh, <laughs> and uh, she, she was really nice about it. We Those two geese, we, we actually took them to, to our ranch. And uh, over that season, they produced, uh, the, well, it was, it was a pair that I had gotten, you know. And, and uh, all of a sudden, we went to count how many geese we had. We had 16 geese in just one year. Oh, my gosh. And, <laughs> from two? From two, yes. So uh, it, they're very prolific, and uh, and that's what I that's what I grew up doing. It was just every moment that I was not at the ranch, I was thinking of what I was going to do when I was at the ranch. That's really interesting. But you said your brothers didn't have that same connection as you did. No. What not... do you think the difference was? Did you have like an experience that just made being at the ranch just yes, so wonderful? I just related to the animals more than most average people do. I I just love to be with them. I just I've always tried to to make them reach their greatest potential in in a way. Yeah. It's I love it's that. it's just ingrained in me and even even with the pigs that we now have them wintering here in the in the back of our home. Um it seems like every time I'm out there after a stressful day at work, I can I can just be there with them and it it relaxes me in a way. It it helps me to to stay focused and and to take a break from life. It's a joy for me to be with the animals. Always has been. I love that. It's super sweet. Yeah, it's like that's really cute, Robert. Yeah. So is there a story behind the name of your farm and why you chose Cherith Brook? Yes, there is. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's uh, it's actually in First Kings uh, chapter 17, I believe. So it's about the prophet Elijah. Um, he was being persecuted and uh, he hid in the brook Cherith. And uh, while he was there, he was fed by by, by ravens. They would bring him bread and uh, and flesh also. And uh, the story doesn't say where they got it from, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the brook had enough water for him to drink, and uh, ravens brought him food during that time he was being persecuted. And uh, the story just um, just reminds me of how nature is just a miracle from God. It just reminds me that when you take care of the land, the land will feed you, even even if it is through a miracle like it happened to Elijah, you know, that somehow God God found a way to feed him uh, through the animals that were there, you know, through what happened there. I think to this day, nobody knows where this brook is exactly because the, the Jews were driven out of their land so many times that uh, nobody knows exactly where it is. But uh, the story just stayed with me. I just I just love how how, how God just, just provides for us. And Jody, did you have any like any indication that you were going to end up here with him? Were you drawn to working on the land? 
Initially, no. I knew I married a cowboy, though, but I thought he would be riding horses on fields all day and come home. And I wasn't going to be the new redrummond, but I definitely was going to have a cowboy as a husband. And I just thought it was going to be horses. I had no idea we were going to garden or take care of other animals. And I didn't know he'd work on a cow, like a cow ranch or, well, a dairy, maybe the beef cow ranch, which he did for a while in Florida. <laughs> but no, my dreams, well, when I fi- I pictured him as a cowboy, I just thought the Wrangler jeans, he's up on the saddle and chasing cows out in this gorgeous pasture in the mountain ranges or something. <laughs> this wasn't my original or yeah what what I originally thought we would end up doing I mean we got married we wanted to support each other and good ideals when we finally moved down here we just fell in love with the place and it's a great place to raise our kids I didn't think anything about raising animals though I didn't think we would do that at all and now that you've gotten into it do you feel the same way that Robert does like is it just like a magical experience for you like it seems like it is for him the other day we were driving by a field and he's like oh look at that do you ever think when you see this great expanse on how many animals you could raise there and there and there and I was like no I was thinking about getting some chocolate but I want to support him in his good So the answer is no. <laughs> well, I want to support him. So as long as it's not too stressful in our family and our life and he's happy because he's always happy when he's out, I guess, in the dirt, in the mountains or at the beach. He's always happier in nature and around animals. Yeah. Well, that's very sweet of you to be so supportive. I'm not sure. All, I try. I'm not sure all <laughs> spouses are that way. Especially with all the animals. Like, you know, like I, we took on, I was telling Robert, we took on um, chickens this year. And oh, we yeah. We started with nine and it was completely overwhelming. Nine. And it was terrifying. And you do like hundreds at a time, right? Yeah. They start out really cute. <laughs> and then we're like, what are we in for? <laughs> That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. So, Robert, I think you kind of answered this a little bit, but what motivated you to start farming yourself here? I'm a religious uh, person. I've I've, I've always been. And I I believe that um, God, sometimes he puts something in our path that uh, really makes us think about life and about uh, about what he would wish for us to do with our with our free agency and that that bad experience that I had a few years ago was really an eye opener for me because even though I was I was farming I mean I, I was supposed to be happy with what I was doing but I just felt that no there's there's what you're doing is good but there's something more that you need to do. The message I got was that I just shouldn't stay where I was. I needed to do something else. And this was the answer. What inspires you to keep going with this path? I mean, I'm sure there's challenging days, right, with raising animals. And so what, what keeps you going? Let me tell you an experience that just happened in this last uh, this last farmers market we had on Wednesday, just uh, just two days ago. We have a customer that we we met her on the very first day that we ever sold at the farmers market. She just she came to the market. She saw us, and she was just so glad to not only see us, but she was so grateful for the product that we were selling. So. On the most difficult days, that's what I need to remember. People actually need this. People actually 
are better off from having a product that is more nutritious. Uh, even here in enterprise, you know, in, in an agricultural town, we see several of our neighbors dying of cancer just, just here on this very block where we live. Um, we had a neighbor across the street that died of pink pancreatic cancer and uh we had another another neighbor here that had uh that had a, a lung problem and and he he ended up passing away from that and just on the other corner here we have a little boy that's about about to die of, of brain cancer when i think about that you know i i think about what i do with my life and, and i and i have to ask myself is what i'm doing is it contributing to this? Is it contributing to this epidemic we see everywhere? Or is it actually making it so this doesn't happen as much? I take that very, very seriously, actually. So those those are probably my two main motivations, the gratitude that people feel and the feeling that I'm actually making a difference in people's lives. Yeah. Well, I feel like what you're doing is pretty unique to this area. Do you know of anyone else out here that's raising animals like this? No, I don't, actually. I I don't, but uh, we really should have more people. We really should have more farmers. As, and, and I believe that as people wake up uh, to the reality of, of, of what we have happening, each family can have their own individual farmer, just like each family has their doctor and the, and the, and the professionals that take care of their needs. That used to be not too long ago, right? I mean, everybody knew who their farmer was, or if they weren't growing it themselves, they knew who did. Exactly. And when we were out, um, you kept saying, and I thought it was so interesting that you kept saying, you were like, people will pay for the best lawyer. They'll pay for the best doctor. They'll pay for all of this, and then they'll eat crap. You know, like they'll eat just whatever and never question it and just put it in their mouth. And um, it having eaten... Uh, Cherith Brooks product, it's completely different. And it's just the flavor, everything is completely different. It's just a completely different, for lack of a better word, animal. And it's insane. Like when you compare those, because I even, um, I had two whole chickens at my house at some point for some reason. And I had just bought one from Cherith Brooks and I had spent a small fortune at Natural Grocer, I guess I shouldn't say the name, and bought one of their high-ended chickens. And I put them in the same pot and the color was completely different. Like, it was unbelievable what they're doing out here with just raising them the way that they're supposed to be raised. How, like, how much land are you operating or your animals on right now? How much land are you using? We have access to about 50 acres of land right now. And uh, for two years, I was paying a lot of money to lease a property that had water rights in it, irrigation water rights. And I noticed after two years of doing that, that uh, for one thing, irrigating takes a lot of time. Uh, things break down all the time. You have to spend time fixing. You have to spend time moving. And if you don't do it right, you have a bunch of problems. So I noticed after doing that for a couple of years, I didn't need that much, that much water, really. And uh, we're, we're out here in the desert. We only have 12 inches of precipitation per year. And for, for me to feel that I didn't have to irrigate to be able to produce was a huge decision. Uh, it, it really weighed on my mind that whether or not I was going to be able to do it. And I did it. And, uh, and, so, and so most of my chickens come out come out from some of the acreage that I, that I have access to that are, that are in the valley 
in the valley floors where I can have the chicken tractors and, and all that uh, uh, moving through the land. Uh, well, just to answer your question, most of my uh, chickens come from about eight eight acres of land that we have available. The the rest, um, the pigs, the goats, the the lambs, they they are more on a, on on a mountain hillside, which is which is the the remainder of the land. And so, how many pigs do you have right now? We have seven. Seven pigs, and then seven. when you're in full operation the rest of the year, how many chickens and sheep and all that do you have? Uh, we're gonna push for this next year to to raise about eight hundred chickens. We invested uh, some money last year in buying our 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 butchering equipment, and uh, we're getting better every every season at butchering. It's an art form in itself. It is. It is. Uh, it used, the first time I ever butchered, it took me a whole afternoon to butcher like 30 chickens. And now we can butcher about 60 in two hours. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> and then how much, how many sheep are you going to have this year? Uh, we're probably going to raise about, uh, about 18 head of sheep this year. How much care do these animals require and like the feed? We were kind of talking about that when we were looking at it, like what all goes into what you feed them and how you feed them, why you feed them, that kind of stuff. Yes. So the ruminants, the the sheep and the goats, and and we're, we're eventually going to get into, into producing beef as well. The ruminants, I am convinced that they don't need anything else but grass to eat and a well-balanced uh, mineral block. That's it. And good management. If we follow the principles of regenerative agriculture, it's very doable. One thing that scares people away from the regenerative agricultural system is that it is undoubtedly more labor-intensive. It takes it takes a lot of walking. It takes it takes setting paddocks. It takes it takes a fair amount of labor to make it work and it's a huge learning curve on top of everything we've taken good advice from those who have been doing this and uh, and the advice is start small and then grow your business i mean the first time i raised pigs i only raised two pigs and uh, and i'm glad because i lost one there are going there are going to be mistakes it, it almost doesn't really matter how much information you have if you actually don't go and do it you never learn exactly what it's all about and one thing that i've noticed is that it's very different for me out here in the desert to produce an animal than it is for for me to do the same thing in brazil where i came from or for joe salatin to do it in virginia it seems like every area of the country is unique and you just have to learn the ropes some of the things that joe salatin does i can't do out here but i can do some things that he can't also and i think the end product is what matters the healthy animal that we produce is what matters most of course on the short term and on the long the long term is more productive land that we'll leave for our children and our grandchildren and future generations. And you mentioned regenerative agriculture. For those who don't know, can you explain what the principles of that are? Yes, yes, I can. The regenerative agricultural system is a system that will not deplete the land. To put it uh, simply, I should say, over the years since since the pioneers arrived here in Utah, uh, the amount of carbon in the soil has been decreasing. I personally believe there will come a point that it doesn't matter how much chemical fertilizer you put in a field, the soil will not be able to 
produce unless you put back the fertility into it. So by having the animals, the animals are a link for that to happen. The animals just recycle what nature produces and make the land more productive. Uh, so uh, just a few of the principles of regenerative agriculture, uh, I, I guess uh, number one is, is to keep the soil covered at all times, to not ever let uh, a dirt patch appear in your ground. On the soil that I've been working for about three years, I, I'm almost there. I think about about two more years I'll be all filled in. Uh, it's already infinitely better than it was when I, fir- when I first started. And that's from moving your animals, right? You're not exactly. letting them overgraze an area. Exactly. And that, that's one of the principles also. It's uh, to not allow them to overgraze, to move them constantly across the land. And that just mimics a, a model of nature. The herds of bison that used to, to cross this area, they never stayed at one spot for more than a few days. They were always constantly moving. And uh, that helps the uh, nature to repair itself and uh, and regrow. Another principle is to not use synthetic fertilizers. They give you a boost of fertility in your land initially, but um, at the same time you have that boost in fertility, you actually lose the microbiology that keeps the soil alive. You don't find very many earthworms in a field that has had uh, synthetic fertilizers. So using organic methods in your soil is, is very important. So we covered what you feed the ruminants. And what about the chickens? Okay, so the monogastrics, which are the pigs and the birds. In nature, I, I, like my wife was saying, I, we lived in Florida for a while. That's where I did my internship, and I went back there to work for for a summer also. Altogether, I think I spent almost almost a whole year in Florida. There were wild pigs everywhere out there, and uh, it is possible to raise a pig just from the forest. However, it takes an immense amount of land to do it. It takes about two years to raise one pig to a good butchering weight size. Uh, the same thing with, with a chicken. It is possible to raise a chicken just putting it out there in the field. But you get a chicken that's about the size of a chucker, a chucker partridge. And, and the meat, because you have to keep her there for so long, the meat will be so tough. She, she'll be an older animal by the time you, you, you can butcher her. So we supplement those animals with grain to help them grow. It is not economically viable for us to raise a chicken or or a pig only with grass. You will not have a good product at the end if you do. Joe Salatin uh, has said in, in, in one of the seminars that, I, that I've been to where he spoke, he said, if you leave a, a chicken in a field and she has access to grain, grass into bugs she will eat about a third a third of each we are happy to provide her with a third of grain so she can fulfill her her destiny in life which is to feed us and it was really interesting we went out there and the 
they have a different setup for peace birds, the ones you cut up, the cut-ups, and then they have one for the whole chicken. And so when you guys have it in full production, you guys are out there, you guys move them every single day. You water them every single day. When you're in full swing production, it's more labor intensive. How many hours do you think as a family you guys are spending out there with the birds, the, the lambs, and everything? With the animals that we produced last last year, if we took all the hours that each individual member of the family put into the business, it would be a full-time job for somebody. It helps me to see that we're we're probably going the right direction with this. You know, I have a full-time job and I have this business on the side. My children are all learning about about work, how to work, and in agriculture. We're blessed that the laws allow us to do that. Our children can work in our agricultural businesses. And uh, it's been such a blessing in their lives. They actually have some money. They actually have earned the money that they have. And uh, and they're learning to work hard. To them, these uh, principles that they're learning in the farm will be useful in any profession that they choose, even if they decide not to be farmers. They're learning just good work ethics that that will be useful to them forever. Well, and also their appreciation of animals and nature is probably completely different than their peers. I mean, you're giving them a completely different outlook on, on the life cycle and how things are supposed to function. It's interesting because just this, this last year, as as their their little friends in school learned that uh, they they've been working in in the family business every single one of them wanted to come to butchering day <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, we, we've, had all, yeah. we've had all kinds of kids come out on butchering day too and that's also very interesting that you guys are raising these kids that not only have that work ethic and that connection to nature, they understand what goes into the food, you know, and they're understanding that relationship and giving more than you take from the land and having that mindfulness of living off of the land, that synergy, which most people and most kids have no idea what goes into their food or where it comes from, or, you know, it's just a chicken on the table, I don't want to eat it and I want to go out and eat something else. It's fine. You know, it's just a chicken. But that kid just put like 30 hours of work into making this chicken. <laughs> like he's yeah. going to eat the chicken. <laughs> we we yeah. waste a lot less food. Yeah. Since yeah. we started doing this. I'm sure. And what do you feel, Jody? How do you feel about raising your kids like this? I know they would rather be home reading or playing on their <laughs> tablets, but they both, well, the twins both said, ah, oh, we get money. So... Even if that's a bribe at first, <laughs> I think they have a lot of money that a lot of their peers don't have from doing hard work. And they've also learned that if, oops, it's past 6 p.m. and they forgot to go out and feed and water, guess what? We're doing it in the dark and they're missing out on that activity or that thing they wanted to do with their friends because animals have to be fed and taken care of every day. And it's a job you signed up for. <laughs> but even Adam... He's seven. So he was six last year um, when we started the farmer's market. But he just was like, oh, I, you know, I'm just going to stay home. But then the twins convinced him, oh, but you get money. You can go to Carter's and actually buy some candy or something, <laughs> a little toy in the machine. So I don't know, even if it starts out with money, they're really like you guys were saying. They're getting the work ethic. They're learning responsibility too. So I think it's good for our family. Yeah. And it's good for you to be able to be like, I don't have to pay for that. You did not do your job. 
right? That is true. Yeah. Well, and even if maybe they don't appreciate it fully at this age, I can imagine when they grow up and they think back, they're probably going to realize like how much knowledge and experience they gained. But your kids are like 13, right? Your 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 two twins are yeah. 13. So are they starting to notice that they have a completely different work ethic than their friends? A lot of the teens at this age, I don't know if it's a gender thing, but my son definitely would rather play video games because all his friends that he has that are guys, they get to do that. And they don't have to do chores, he says, mom, and they don't have to do this. They don't have to go to the field and take care of chickens. And all the girls... They would rather go shopping or do their nails or whatever it is, but they're learning responsibility because you can tell if somebody's grades are dropping or this or that, or all the friends just do whatever, watch princess movies. Well, my kids are out there learning more things. And I think deep down, they maybe they don't realize it as far as, you know, but it's in there somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think, like I said, I think as they get older, they're going to realize just how good of a foundation they have for life. I mean, you don't you don't get to play video games and watch princess movies when you're an adult. Not usually. <laughs> Not always, right? You get to if you get to stay home sick yeah, from work. That's like true. that's your one time you get to watch princess movies on Hallmark. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you have animals, then you go out and feed them when you're sick anyway, right? Yeah, they still have to be fed. But going back to before um when you were commenting about kids just see food on the table or in the fridge, you know, or they go to the store. That's where milk comes from you know or apples or whatever actually comes from farmers who you know grow them on their field or whatever it is and even little adam he knows that now he's actually been part of butchering chickens he knows that this animal gave its life for you and he helped um, feed it water it move it take care of it when it was a tiny chick and he saw the end result and he still will eat it <laughs> but he realizes that it doesn't just come from the store there's a lot of work put into it and it's not a renewable resource i think that people always look at food as like oh it never ends like we'll always have more and we'll always have it there the someone threat. else is doing the work <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter the threat and the realization now is that no it's it's not everywhere and you know, unless we start changing some major practices, there is going to be a food problems. shortage. Yeah. 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 So it's good that they have that. Like, that's such a blessing to have parents that can teach you that. Yeah. I wish wish my parents had put me on a farm and put me to work. That's like my dream childhood. <laughs> well, you got to weave and make pottery. Well, it's true because all my siblings are in California. And one of my sisters says, I can't believe you're doing this. This is such a great thing. Meat is so expensive in California. And she wants our kind where it's vaccine-free, antibiotic-free, hormone-free, raised as humanely as possibly. And she's tasted it. She can tell the difference. And she doesn't even buy certain ones. And it's expensive out there and the, the kind of things she wants. I have another brother, who, another sibling, a brother who's extremely into save the environment and all that kind of thing. Um, my other sister's a nutritionist. And she's like, you wouldn't believe how much I pay for the bone broth out here at a natural store. I can hardly find it. And I'm like, really? I'm selling it at the farmer's market for $150 a pound. Come on down. So all my siblings in, Saint, in uh, California are really, really supportive of what we're doing here. And you're able to go antibiotic and vaccine free, right? Because the animals have such a healthy gut system because they're getting all of the varieties of plants, right? Or how does that work? Yes. Our death rate is is extremely low. It's very, very low. It wasn't in the beginning. 
I mean, we had we had to go through a learning curve, like I said. We were able to to figure out how to do it in a way that they grow without the need of of those things. We make it so their environment takes care of their bodily needs. And that's from moving them and staying on top. And yes. yeah, amazing. It's what, like Jody was saying, you can't miss a day of taking care of your animals. You have to be there every day of their lives. Once uh, those little chicks get here in the mail, we have to just take care of them until very last day. It's a commitment. Yeah. It's an honorable commitment. Yeah. I think. Especially yeah. when you do it so caringly and lovingly. Definitely different than, you know, what they do at the CAFOs. That is not an honorable way to manage animals. Yeah, well, and that's the, that's the argument. You know, you have a lot of people, we were talking about this out on the field. You have a lot of people that are concerned about the environment and they're 100% committed to the belief that that it means going without meat. But really what it means is only buying meat and supporting meat practices that are regenerative, that are good with the environment. CAFOs, yeah, you're exactly right. You should not buy CAFO meat if you're an environmentalist, but buying from a regenerative farmer who's doing it in a way that gives back and it is sustainable and it's not causing this runoff and it's not causing all of this weird stuff to happen, that's a completely different story. And I think that um, there's value in telling that story. Right. Yes. And in this one year of farmer's market, we have been able to sell meat to four professed vegetarians. Wow. We have nothing against vegetarians, just so you know, but I'm just saying open to discussion. I think it's like what you're saying. A lot of people were just uh, decided not to eat meat because they couldn't find a good source. Just the other day, some vegetarians or people that don't eat meat came to me and they said, well, we'll eat yours because we know who you are. We know how you treat your animals. We know how you butcher them or where you take them uh, to do it with care. And so we'll eat yours. We'll try yours. But we don't eat it from anyone else. And they still wanted it. They were willing to try it. And it was actually quite shocking to me, but I was very glad not just to make a sale either. It was to see that they were trusting and they knew the value of that meat. Well, I think that would totally change the game. I think more people would feel more comfortable consuming animal products if they have that connection. I I hate the thought of CAFOs. I feel so horrible for these animals. And then like the way you guys do it, they have maybe one bad day, just maybe a couple bad hours and that's it. Like that's, that's all they experience. The rest of their life is beautiful and easy and the way it's supposed to be. And I feel like more people could easily get on board with that. In the dairy industry, when a cow gives birth, the calf gets taken from her right away and uh, I did that for so many years that uh, maybe I was a little callous about it and uh, my mom came from Brazil one time and and uh, she spent a whole week here with me and she just wanted to go to work with me and do everything that I was doing with me and uh, as as she went to the dairy farm and we took the, the little calf away from from their mommies she was crying i found her crying in the in the Aww. truck she was so sad that that uh, we wouldn't let nature take its its mm-hmm. course there and that to me was was also a turning point you know it was also something that we we can probably do a little better on that is there a way to 
make dairy products in a way that's more regenerative? Like, let I know with goats, I've heard that you can keep the babies away from their moms at nighttime, but be right next to them, like in a separate stall. And then you milk the moms first thing in the morning, and then you let the kids out all day with their moms. Is there, is that, yes. can you do that with cows and stuff too? You can do exactly the same thing with cows, yes. Um, you get a lot less milk, of course, but uh, you get to use the design of the cow to to fulfill her purpose in life but just to make it short yes there is a way there is a way to do this whether whether you separate the calf at night or whether you whatever whatever you choose to do you can make it work there's probably a way to do things that are more in line with nature and we still get the benefit you don't have to just exploit animals for our gain i think there's ways you can do all sorts of things and get what you need but do it in a way that works in harmony with the natural balance well and i think it has something to do with industrialization too like yeah. these are all the practices that everybody's had forever that we've moved away from you last know, that, like 70 yeah, years yeah and so it's just returning back to that and understanding that the focus should be the product so if you could start all over, what's one thing you wish you would have known before you started Cherith Brook? Well, if uh, if I knew what I know now, I think I would probably have started Cherith Brook right off from college. At, at that time, I didn't need so much to take care of my family. Jody and I could live. I think our grocery bill was less than $150 monthly. Um, like we just could have done a lot more if we had started right away. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard with kids. It's a way harder with kids. It's hard to look at your, at your health insurance rates and think how in the world can I do this if I was on my own especially now with what is happening in the in the health field you know there's there's a few things that that scare me but at the same time I'm glad to have the experience that I'm having because I can value it so much more. Right. Real quickly, could you kind of summarize what your approach is to how you raise your animals? Why did you make that choice to have them be antibiotic-free, vaccine-free? The main thing is to work with nature on everything you do. Each specific animal has a design uh, pigs, for example, they do some wonderful things to the land that uh, goats can't can't do. Um, yeah, same thing with chickens. Same thing with 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 every species. And uh, we do things the way we do them uh, because we're trying to mimic uh, the natural way things are supposed to be. And animals do not get antibiotic in nature. Right. Nature actually has a system to prevent disease. If I if if I have a problem with my animals, I don't go to a bottle to answer that. I go to my management practices and see what am I doing wrong that caused this problem to begin with. I wish more people would do that in all sorts, not just animals, but all land management. I think we'd have a completely different way we produce food if everyone valued things like that. That's That's really special. All right, so in your opinion, what makes Utah special? I love the people here. I think what makes the place special is not the natural resources you have or or how much money the place has. It's actually the type of people you have there. And the people here in Utah are probably some of the best people that that I've had the pleasure to, to know. Why should people buy local food and support local farmers and makers? For each calorie 
of food that we ingest, we actually spend about 10 calories of energy to bring the food to the people. And that, that's counting everything that's used in, in the tractors, all the, the other machinery that's used. And anything you eat has, has traveled at least 150 miles to get to you. We can't have a regenerative system without a local food production system. What's your favorite part about being a member of the farmer's market community? Oh, we've, we've been able to meet so many great people. It's the people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, all, all these years working in the dairy industry, uh, producing a, a commodity product, uh, I've never had a customer that came to me and thanked me for all the, all the 12 years of work that I've put into the millions and millions of gallons of milk that I produce. No one has ever came back to us and said, hey, thanks for doing this, you know. And at the farmer's market, I get that about 10 times a day. I look forward to it every week just to see the people and hear what they enjoyed about the product, but also just what they're doing in their lives and that they're reaching out. They're looking for something else than just the local store. They can get to know the people who help produce their food and make it more a part of their lives instead of just something they're eating. For the people who are listening, where can they find you and your products? Yes, we are at the Wednesday Farmer's Market at... uh... Afogado West in St. George. And uh, from May to October, we are at the downtown farmer's market at Ancestor Square. We have a sign-up sheet. We're eventually going to do a few drop-off points oh, in the, cool. in, here in the, in the southern Utah region. And uh, we are working on developing our website. Um, every, every single one of our labels has our phone number. So people can call us at any time. Okay, because that was my next question is how do people get a hold of you? So you're working on the website. So phone yes. number is the best way. Uh, we are on Facebook and uh, and we're available through email. And then is there a, a book that you would recommend to listeners if they want to learn more about what you do? Is there a book that's been like really inspirational to you? The book is by Gabe Brown and uh and he has been an inspiration in my life uh, as well. The name of the book is Dirt to Soil. We'll include that in the show notes too. So if anyone's curious, they can find that book and check it out. You'll learn more about dirt than you ever thought there was. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's the most important thing, right? You got to have the healthy soil for anything to work. That's the land for you. Okay. And is there anything else that we didn't cover that you would like to share? I just like to say that I really hope that people uh, look into what they're eating and care about their health and what they're putting into themselves so that they have the quality that's meant to be for them. Well, and they can find it at the farmer's market. Yep. Well, do you have anything you'd like to share, Robert? What I want to share is is more more of a feeling of gratitude for how I got to where to where I am, for the experiences that that brought me here. I wish everyone could have could have that. I think I think it's not about the money. It's not about being selfish. It's, it's, it's about how much good you do in the world. And I honestly feel that uh, what we're trying to do is, is something that makes people's lives better. It, it's a blessing in our life to be able to produce. And as we produce, we hope that it's going to be a blessing in the lives of those who consume it. 
Well, I think that about wraps everything up. But I want to thank both of you for spending the time to show us around and to talk to us. I we really appreciate it, and I hope our listeners will too and have learned will learn a lot. Yes, and and thanks for the invitation. We thanks, Anna. Yeah, of course. We, yeah, we stand with open arms here too. But yeah, you seem to be a wealth of knowledge, so I'm really excited to learn more from you. So, but we'll we'll let you get back to your to your farm and thank you so much Thanks again. For coming. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Anna. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you found this podcast, especially on iTunes. If you have a specific question that you would like to ask us or our farmers, makers, or educators, send us an email at podcast at mofacoutah.com and let us know. Another way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporting member starting at only $2 a month. We have different levels of membership that grant access to special members-only swag like shirts, hats, bags, magnets, and stickers that show your support for your local community. To learn more, please visit mofacoutah.com slash podcast slash support. Make sure you are following us on Facebook and Instagram at mofacoutah and sign up for our email list at mofacoutah.com slash podcast slash sign up to stay up to date on all this podcast has to offer. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back in your feed in two weeks. But until then, we hope Hope to to see you at the farmer's market. The music for this episode was created by Southern Utah local, Jake Shepard.